You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Hola, City Tribe. How y'all doing? Welcome, welcome. I'm glad you guys are here as we continue our Enrichmas series. And in this series, just to recap really quickly, this has been a conversation about bringing more meaning, greater depth, and new traditions to enrich your Christmas experience. For those of you who are just joining us for the first time, you can get caught up on our City Tribe Media webpage here on YouTube. And so be sure to check out the other three talks that have led up to this concluding talk here, but to just get you up to speed really quickly, let me break down for you what we've discussed so far. So week one, we kicked off going through an account of John, one of Jesus's closest followers, an eyewitness account. And we learned from John that Jesus is the light of the world and we can be encouraged no matter our circumstances, no matter what we feel during this season, especially because Jesus's light shines in the darkness still after 2,000 years. So the tradition we adopted in week one was anytime we looked at Christmas lights, we were going to say what John said, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Hopefully you guys are doing that. Anybody doing that? Yes? No? Okay, well then, that's discouraging. I'm kidding. (laughs) Week two, week two, we said, uh, well, we looked at Luke's account and we were encouraged. If we felt powerless, if we felt like we didn't matter in this world, we were encouraged because Jesus will be called Most High, Elion, and the Most High God. He overpowers everyone who has power over us. Actually, it's that his love overpowers everyone who has power over us. And so the tradition that we adopted in week two was that we would write a letter, we would write a Christmas card, send a text message to somebody who's made us feel powerless or insignificant to demonstrate we believe that Jesus is most high. Then last week we had a special guest and he shared with us that the Christmas story really is a story about Jesus reaching out to Humanity, And so we were encouraged as a tradition to reach out to somebody that we wouldn't typically touch with a 39 and a half foot pole, a Grinch, and anchor ourselves to that person to say, I'll be there for you specifically in this season. Now today, we continue the conversation and I want us to explore a couple of questions. And here are these questions and you don't need to respond out loud, but I really want you to think about these what is Christmas really about? I'm sure a lot of things come to mind, but what is Christmas really about? Like, have we perhaps missed the point of Christmas? Is it possible that we're not celebrating it correctly or maybe just not completely? And the other question is, like, I know uh, at Christmas we celebrate Jesus' birth, or maybe you think about God doing the impossible through the Virgin Mary, and, you know, Christmas is about exchanging gifts, but who is Christmas really about? Who is Christmas really about? And the answers to these questions, I believe they will not only enrich your Christmas experience this year Onward, but I sincerely believe that the answers to these questions will enrich your life and will transform the world. 
And so we find the answers to these questions in an exchange between Jesus and a religious group known as the Pharisees. And we're just going to jump right into this. So here is a little background as to this story. So there was a man who had been born blind and he grew up to become an adult. And after an encounter with Jesus, he was miraculously able to see. Now, the religious group, the Pharisees, who were these self-proclaimed shepherds of God's people, they heard about this and they felt threatened by Jesus's growing popularity and they felt that Jesus was defiant and that their authority was waning and their influence was waning. And so they decided that anybody who claimed Jesus was God or anybody who claimed Jesus was from God, well, they needed to be punished because they were blasphemers. They disrespected God. And so the Pharisees, they questioned the healed man. In fact, they even brought in his parents and the man told them, look, I can't explain it. All I know is that I once was blind but now I see. And if Jesus wasn't from God, I don't know how he could have done this. And I don't think that they would have written a song about me. And so the Pharisees retorted, you were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? Translation, dude, your mama's a sinner. Your daddy's a sinner. Your whole family's a disgrace to God. That's why you were born blind. You can go to hell. And so they put him out. Now, scholars believe this phrase, they put him out, meant that he was, this man was sentenced to chayrem. Chayrem is a Jewish term for extreme excommunication. This guy was excommunicated. His possessions were confiscated. The entire tribe, the entire village was put on notice that nobody could sell to him. Nobody could trade with him. Nobody could hire him. And anyone who so much as helped this man would suffer the exact same sentencing. He was cast away with common Hebrew curses like this one found in ancient records. Let many a violent disease be upon him. Let his carcass be for beasts and serpents and let those that rise up against him, his enemies, rejoice over him. Now this guy was to die a miserable death without a funeral, without any mourning. And this decision was irrevocable. And on what should have been a day of celebration, this healed man, he was condemned, he was cursed, he was criticized, or as the kiddos say today, he was canceled. Right? The self-appointed shepherds, they stole from him, in God's name, of course, the enriched life. Now, you and I haven't really had extreme communication, excommunication, at least I hope not. But we know what it feels like to be condemned and canceled. Perhaps some of you have made a misstep at work or made an enemy at work, and so your coworkers have canceled you. They no longer text you. You're left off of emails. You're not invited to the happy hour or... Maybe you're cut off by your family because of decisions that you've made or the lifestyle choices that you have. Maybe your kiddos have cut you off. You weren't around as they were growing up, and so there's no hope for you to have any influence in their life or any redemption. And maybe you gave your heart to somebody last Christmas, but the very next day they gave it away, and you were ghosted, right? And we know what that can do to your psyche. We know what being condemned and cursed and criticized does to us. It steals from us the enriched life. Well, when Jesus heard of this, when he learned of this, he wasn't having it at all. He confronted the Pharisees with a story, and here's what he said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, 
but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, if you're scratching your head, wondering, what the heck does this mean? Like, you are not alone. Like, trust me, this is a very weird statement, especially for us in the 21st century. But even in the first century, the Pharisees were like, what is this chump talking about? This walking fortune cooking? What does he even mean? And so we're going to hunker down right here for a bit. I'm going to unpack this first part of his story. Now, when you and I today, we hear these sheep analogies, they're typically interpreted as insults. Right? You're the black sheep of the family. That means like you've been outcast and nobody likes you. If you're sheepish, that means that you have no confidence. Right? Never call your wife a sheep or anything like that. If you're a sheeple, that means you are a mindless follower. But not so with Jesus. You see, from Jesus's first century Eastern Mediterranean perspective, sheep were awesome. And it was a compliment because of their horns and milk from which cheese was made and their meat and wool and their skin sheep that sheep provided sheep were incredibly valuable in that day a family's entire wealth was measured it was wrapped up in their flock like a financial portfolio sheep didn't just have economic value though you see the youngest son in the family often took the role of shepherd and he spent day and night not simply tending to the sheep's wellness but he spent day and night playing with them like he was Andy and they were his toys. And those of you who grew up with pets, you know the, uh, the fondness that a child can develop for their animals. For example, I think of my wife Christine's fondness for her poodle, Angel. When Christine was 10, she received for Christmas this little furball. And having grown up together, having spent 15 years together, Angel was more than Christine's pet. She was family. Some of you dog moms, you know what's up, right? You got Instagram accounts for your dogs and all that other stuff. When Christine was sad, Angel's soft fur wiped her tears. When Christine was sick, Angel wiped her snot. I'm kidding, she didn't do that. But Angel curled up next to her and comforted her. Christine hosted many a Halloween party for Angel's dog friends. And she even had me officiate Angel's quinceanera. And... and just a side note, I don't do that often. It was just a one-time thing. I do what the boss says, you know. And so Christine and Angel had such a tight bond that I kid you not, on New Year's Day in 2014, Christine said to me, overcome with grief, she said, would you go check on Angel, please? I just have this really bad feeling and I don't want to be the one to find her. And I don't know how this happened. I don't know how she knew. Maybe there was like a disturbance in the force or something like that, but I'm glad I was the one to go because Angel had in fact died. And Christine was devastated. She spent several days in bed. She lost family. And it's this kind of deep affection, this kind of deep connection that a shepherd's son for his family's sheep. It's why he readily traversed treacherous terrain, mountainous terrain to retrieve his lost sheep. It's why he fearlessly fought off lions and bears and wolves to protect his flock, his babies. It's why he led them to the freshest waters and the greenest fields because he wanted for his beloved sheep the best life possible, the enriched life. And so, yeah, sheep had economic value, but they were also loved and they were appreciated with sentimental value, with intrinsic value. And this is what made Jesus' story about thieves so 
piercing because thieves didn't value sheep the way the shepherd's son did. When thieves wanted a quick profit, here's what they would do. They would climb over a sheep enclosure, the stone walls of a sheep enclosure, in the stealth of the night. And then, just to make sure they didn't cause any ruckus and wake up the shepherd or anything like that, they would slit the sheep's throat. And then they would throw the lifeless livestock over the stone wall, and then they would run away carrying as many as they could physically carry. It was an outrageous offense. The thieves not only took from the family's wealth, the thieves took from the shepherd's son, his family. And like Christine was devastated, the shepherd's son would have grieved over his loss, yet that was none of the thief's concern. The thief's only concern was his own preservation. It was his own profit. And this lack of concern is exactly the picture that Jesus was trying to paint. And as powerful as this imagery was, the Pharisees, they didn't understand Jesus' story. And maybe some of you are still struggling to follow, and that's totally okay, because Jesus clarified. He said, all who came before me, all of you who are claiming to be shepherds of people, all of you who are claiming to be God's shepherds, are thieves and robbers. And the thief, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And just to make sure that he was clear, just to make sure that they understood, Jesus communicated this exact same message, just with a slightly different twist, with a different story. He said, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches the sheep and scatters the sheep and this hired hand flees and he is, what, not concerned about the sheep because he's a hired hand, right? He's not the owner. And so all this talk about thieves, all this talk about hired hands and sheep, what exactly was Jesus' point? Like, what message was Jesus trying to convey to the Pharisees? And what does any of this have to do with our question about what is Christmas really about? Who is Christmas really about? Well, at this point, Jesus' audience, the Pharisees, they would have realized, oh, whoa, he's not talking about real sheep. He's talking about people. And the Pharisees would have realized, wait a second. He's saying that we're the thieves in the hired hand. And then some of them would have connected the dots. They would have realized that Jesus was referencing what God had declared 600 years prior through the prophet Ezekiel when God said, whoa, shepherds of Israel, you self-proclaimed shepherds who have been feeding themselves with force and severity. You have dominated my sheep. You've dominated my people. Behold, I am against you so-called self-proclaimed shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from you. And so Jesus' message to the Pharisees, and even to us today, is this. Look, all of you who have condemned and canceled, who've criticized and cursed others in God's name, you behave like heartless murderers. You're concerned only for your own preservation. You're concerned only for your own profit. And this shepherd's son, he's outraged, and he's grieved at your lack of compassion for others. And just as Jesus was outraged and grieved at a lack of compassion and care, you and I should be outraged and grieved too. We should be outraged and grieved when a student is bullied at school and no one steps in to help. 
We should be outraged and grieved when students come to school hungry because they're food insecure or when children are neglected or abused or sold off into sex slavery. We should be outraged and grieved when coworkers are berated by the boss and women are harassed and hit a glass ceiling. We should be outraged and grieved at racism and bigotry and a lack of affordable housing for our friends on the streets and a lack of childcare options for single parents. We should be outraged and grieved when people are condemned, when they are canceled, when they are criticized and cursed. Why? Why should we be outraged and grieved at a lack of compassion and care for our fellow man? Why was Jesus outraged and grieved? Well, Dr. Ali Benazir, a Harvard graduate and a philosopher turned happiness engineer, he pondered the odds that we would be alive in the world Today, he pondered the odds of human existence. And so he asked the question, what are the odds that your biological mother and your biological father would have ever met? And then to that, he asked, well, what are the chances that they would actually stay together long enough to uh, procreate? You know what I mean? And then he asked, well, what are the odds that all of the biological factors associated with pregnancy would have happened at the right time and in the right way? And I'm not going to go into all the details there. But to that, he added, what are the odds that this happened for thousands of consecutive generations, right? An unbroken generation or un unbroken lineage. And what are the odds that your ancestors would have actually been able to live long enough to survive the odds that they survived uh, all these climate changes and comets hitting the earth and volcanoes erupting and predators coming after them, what are the odds that they would survive long enough to be able to reproduce? And so taking all of these basic factors involved in our existence, here's what he calculated. The odds that any one of us alive in the world today, that we would exist, are this. They're one in 10, now, don't miss this. We're going somewhere with all this. One in 10 to the 2,685,000th power. You don't need to understand math or science to understand that our existence is ridiculously improbable. By this calculation, the chances of human existence are so infinitesimally small, they're virtually zero. We should not be here. But get this, there are countless other conditions that Dr. Benazir didn't account for in his calculation, like the 12 governing laws of the universe. Gravity, for example, the fact that there is the right amount of gravitational pull that our bodies don't explode. The fact that we're able to have an atmosphere that we're able to breathe oxygen and not carbon dioxide. Like there's so many factors, infinite factors that he didn't account for. And so what's my point? Suspending all faith for just a second. Scientifically speaking, solely scientifically speaking, the fact that any of us exist today is nothing short of a miracle. You are a miracle. Now, I don't think you think about these things that often. You probably haven't even heard this before. Maybe it's been a long time since somebody has told you an affirmation instead of a curse or a condemnation or a criticism, but you are a miracle and you watching are a miracle. And so I want to make sure that you get this. I want to make sure you internalize this 
truth. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say, you are a miracle and point at you. And then you're going to respond affirming, saying, I am a miracle. And if you really want to, you can symbolically grab onto this, hold on to this truth and say, I am a miracle. Pretty clear, right? I say, you are a miracle. You respond affirming, grabbing onto that truth, saying, I am a miracle. All right, let's try this. Let's do it with a little conviction, like you believe it, all right? It's scientific. You are a miracle. Okay, this whole side of the room, you believe it. This side, come on, man. You got to believe this truth. Let's try this again. Seriously, with conviction, like you mean it, because it's true. You are a miracle. You are a miracle. And as such, right, as walking, talking miracles, every single one of us, regardless of gender, regardless of class, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of religion or creed, every single one of us, because we are a miracle, we deserve the greatest human experience possible. We shouldn't be canceling or condemning each other. We need to be celebrating the miracle that we all are. Tell the person next to you, you are a miracle. That was not at all convincing. (laughs) Now, what I love about Dr. Benazir's calculation, what I love about this calculation is that you don't even need to believe in God to celebrate the miracle of life. But if you are a person of faith, then you have all the more reason to be celebrating others and not condemning them. Why? What could possibly make the miracle of life even more meaningful? What could make it even more significant? Well, in our faith's creation account, we discover that we're more than scientific miracles. Our creator said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And God blessed them. Now, this word blessed means adore. So God adores this creation in his image. So you, me, every human, we are all created in God's image and with adoration. But not just that. Check this. Then God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Everyone take a deep breath in. Exhale. Have you ever considered that that's God's breath in your lungs? The breath itself, not the smell, the breath itself. (laughs) It's God's breath in your lungs, but not just your lungs, her lungs and his lungs and your lungs and my lungs. It's God's breath in our lungs. And this is why Jesus was so outraged and grieved at a lack of compassion and care. This is why Jesus told that story about thieves who lack concern for others. Because we're not just these brilliant bodies of biology. That by itself is amazing. But we are all God's beloved babies. We are his sheep. We are his wealth. We are his family. We belong to him. And there's nothing more valuable to the shepherd's son, Jesus, than us. There's nothing more that Jesus celebrates than us. In fact, all of this was a roundabout way to bring us back to the original question of our day. So what is Christmas really all about? Like, have we missed the point? Have we been celebrating incorrectly or incompletely? And who is Christmas really about? Well, in that same exchange with the Pharisees, Jesus answered those questions. He said, this, I came, 
I made Christmas happen that they, my beloved sheep, you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. I'm not like these other false shepherds, these hired hands, these thieves. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In other words, it's as if Jesus said, look, though I existed as God, I didn't see equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, I emptied myself of my divine privileges and I was born of a virgin human. I made Christmas happen because my sheep, my family, you are so valuable to me. I became God with you. Christmas happened because you deserve the best life possible, a life of purpose, passion, peace, promise, power, the enriched life that we've talked about all four weeks. And Jesus didn't just talk about how much he adores you. He showed us how valuable we are. Like a good shepherd, he literally died for his own. Hanging on a cross that we may live the enriched life now and for eternity. And so for us, Christmas is our celebration of Jesus' birth. But what is the real point of Christmas? You see, from Jesus' perspective, Christmas was his celebration of you. Um, let me say that again, right? Because we've always looked at it from the human perspective that Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' birth. But who is Christmas really about? What is Christmas really about? From Jesus' perspective, he made Christmas happen because he celebrates you. Christmas is his celebration of us. Let that sink in. For God so loved the world, for God so celebrates us, he made Christmas happen. And we have to get this. We have to hold tightly to how Jesus celebrates us. Because I've been actively engaged in human services for about 15 years now. I've worked in relief services like food assistance and financial assistance and case management, helping people find resources in the community. I've personally facilitated all sorts of life-enriching programs that help people find their why and discover their purpose, right? All that stuff is the rage right now. And I've helped people figure out how to better communicate in their relationships and better manage their resources. And I've led spiritual recovery groups, and don't get me wrong, all of these human services, all of these development programs are necessary and impactful. They're tools that have helped me personally, but over and over, individual after individual, for 15 years, here's what I've seen. You can know your why and discover your purpose. You can know how to find a tribe and get connected. You can know what skills you have, what talents you've developed, what your passions are. You can know where to get the help in the community. But you will never experience the enriched life until you know whose you are and who you are. You will never experience the enriched life until you live every single day from the truth about this whole Christmas experience that Jesus celebrates you, that you are a miracle. And the scriptures, they corroborate this. Think about this. For those who are familiar with the creation story, the first man and the first woman living the enriched life in the Garden of Eden, they had that life stolen from them when the devil said to them, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. 
But remember, they were already like God. They were created in his image. They breathed his breath, but they listened to a voice that told them who they weren't. And how often does that happen to us? We live our lives according to the voices that tell us who we are not. And contrast this with how Jesus approached difficult situations. Here's an example. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, Jesus knew whose he was and who he was. And there's another example. Jesus says, for I know where I came from and where I am going. He knew whose he was and who he was. There are countless other examples in the scriptures. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, that whole thing is about worth. Do you not know that you're worth more than the birds of the air and the lilies of the valley? Come on. It's all about this idea that you are a miracle. You're precious in the eyes of God. And Jesus shows us that if we want to live the enriched life, we have to be anchored in whose we are and who we are. We have to celebrate knowing that Jesus celebrates us. And so practically, what are we to do? Right? How do we anchor ourselves in this truth? Where might you and I start today? Well, here's where we start. Jesus said it this way. The sheep follow the good shepherd because they know his what? Voice. They follow the good shepherd because they know his voice voice, the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, the good shepherd that gives the enriched life. So to experience the enriched life, we have to do what Adam and Eve did not do. We have to do what the Pharisees did not do. We have to cancel out the devil's voice. We have to cancel out the voice of lies, cancel out the voice that steals, kills, and destroys, cancel out the voices that condemn and criticize and curse us and cancel us. The voices that tell you who you are not. And instead, we must listen for the good shepherd's voice always in everything. The voice of peace, the voice of passion, the voice of promise, a voice that adores, a voice that celebrates, a voice that is compassionate. It's a voice that even when correcting is gentle and gives life and life abundantly. And you'll know that it's a voice to listen to if it reminds you whose you are and who you are. Because this is so critical for us. And because I am convinced that this is foundational to all of us experiencing the life we were created to experience, we're gonna practice this right now. As we have every week, I'm inviting you to adopt a new tradition. And if there's any tradition that you're going to accept out of all of these four weeks, my hope is it's this one. Instead of experiencing Christmas solely as a celebration of Jesus's birth, instead of looking at it from our human perspective, let's experience Christmas from Jesus's perspective. Let's experience it as a reminder that Jesus celebrates us. Let this be a reminder that Jesus adores you so much that he made Christmas happen to give you life and life abundantly. So let's be especially mindful this season to listen for the good shepherd's voice that celebrates you, that celebrates us. Now let me add to that really quickly. Let it be a reminder 
that for some people that we engage with, that don't come here, that we should be the voice of that good shepherd. And so right now, I'm just gonna pray. I'm gonna ask the good shepherd to cancel out any other voice and help us hear his. So Lord, Jesus, good shepherd, would you help us in this moment? Would you help us cancel out any voices of criticism, cursing, condemnation? God, we take all of those and we lay them at your feet. They do not belong in our hearts, in our minds, because they're not from you. And so God, we're asking, good shepherd, that your voice would speak to us, that we would hear from you. God, help us understand whose we are and who we are. In Jesus' name. I have a request of you. If you would afford me the opportunity, would you just for a moment suspend whatever beliefs you might have about me, whatever preconceived ideas you might have about somebody with a microphone, a religious leader, a pastor, would you suspend all of that for just a moment? Maybe I remind you of somebody. Maybe you don't like my teaching style. Maybe you don't like my voice. But would you, for just one moment, allow for me to be an instrument of God, to be the voice of the Good Shepherd? I scoured through the scriptures and I looked for everywhere that God spoke. And there are a couple that I pulled out that I wanted to speak over you. And so, if you're so willing, would you just out as a symbol of receiving because I'm going to speak these over to you and I want you to receive them in your heart and in your mind. I want the good shepherd's voice to be that which leads you and that pierces you. So here's what I believe the good shepherd would say. It's based on the scriptures. You aren't just good. You're very good. You were carefully and masterfully crafted in my perfect image. It's my breath in your lungs. And I adore you. You're precious in my sight. My heart is for you. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to prosper. I'm here to give to you. I will provide for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. You're so invaluable to me that I am relentlessly pursuing you. You're my friend. You don't need to be ashamed. I don't condemn you. You're forgiven. I forgive you. 
I choose you. You're chosen. You are the light of the world. You are a temple of my Holy Spirit. You are so loved. And you are mine. You are my beloved sheep. You are my family. And so, Lord, let this be the voice that resonates in our minds. Let us be reminded of this as we go. God, let this be the foundation for how we live every day of our life. And may we also be a vessel, an instrument for your voice. That people would experience the enriched life you came to give us when you made Christmas happen in Jesus' name. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.